Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16. This morning I got a call from a church member. Uh, I had texted her about, uh, she was in the hospital and she came home yesterday. I just texted her and said, hey, we're praying for you. And so uh, she called me and uh, we talked for just a few moments. And she said, Jeff, let me tell you something. When the ambulance came, I, I had passed out and I wasn't coherent. and I was in such a peaceful place. And then when I came to, my first thought was, well, dang, she was hoping that that would be the end. She was hoping that she would not wake up here, but she would wake up in the presence of Jesus. I said, well, let me tell you something. When I heard the call go out in the fire radio, I turned to Shannon and I said, I'll bet you she hopes she doesn't wake up. Here's why. Now, that might sound weird if you didn't know, but here's why. My friend has this incredible uh, peace knowing that she knows Jesus, and her thoughts are on eternity more and more every day. She's lived her life. It's been a good life. She's, she's done everything she needed to do, but, but her hopes and her thoughts are in eternity. And that brings me to the passage today because there was this conversation between Jesus and Peter where Peter's thoughts were on this world and Jesus' thoughts were on the next. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says this. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes to be killed and to be raised on the third day. So Jesus is beginning to remind the disciples, hey, my life is going to end very soon. I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And then Peter, the Bible says, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now just picture that. I mean, this is exactly what Peter would do, isn't it? Peter took Jesus by the arm and he pulled him off to the side, away from the other disciples and said, now Jesus, we need to get this clear. You just need to understand that you're not going to die. So don't be talking that way. Don't be thinking that way. You're the Messiah. You're the king. And so you're going to rule. And I, So just get this out of your mind that you're going to die and, and, and be crucified. That's not going to happen. And the Bible says in verse 23 that Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns or God's kingdom, but you're thinking of human concerns or a human kingdom. Folks, here's the deal. You and I live in a world where uh, it is constantly vying for our attention. We're constantly having to deal with human stuff, right? I mean, water heaters break, vehicles break down and run out of gas, uh, things in the house go wonky, and then we've got things with relationships, and life just gets difficult, and it doesn't seem like it ever ends. And so it is vying for our attention. It is screaming at us, calling our name to give it attention. And because we give it attention, we also begin to start moving our life and addressing our life towards it so that our focus is having a, a life that's not crazy, right? But you see, that's the kingdom of this world. And the Bible tells us that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And he tells us specifically that he came to preach the gospel 
of the kingdom. Hey, guess what, guys? We have good news. And it's good news that there's a kingdom that is not the kingdom that you see here. The good news of the kingdom of God is that in his kingdom, all things are right, nothing is broken, and relationships are perfect. That's his kingdom. And so, as Jesus is telling Peter, get your mind on kingdom things, he also, I think, is reminding us, constantly be aware of where our focus is, where our attention is. Our mind needs to be on the kingdom of God. And so then the question is this. Okay, how do you do that? How do I get outside of the kingdom of this world if I have to live in it? And, and how do I look at something that's broken and think beyond it or think eternally in the midst of something temporary? I believe Jesus gives us the first place to start or the starting place. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says this, Jesus then said to his disciples, right? So this conversation, Peter says, no, this isn't going to happen. Jesus says, think about my kingdom, not your kingdom. And then he said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me. Now, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to those who were already following after him. Which tells us that they hadn't quite grasped what we're talking about here. They were disciples, but they hadn't figured out the keys or the key to being a disciple. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him do three things. Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Isn't this amazing? Jesus begins by saying, my kingdom is a kingdom that is upside down. Now, he didn't use those words. But an upside down kingdom compared to our kingdom. Here's what I mean. To deny yourself is to live and embrace humility. Our world doesn't value humility all that much. Our world values arrogance, ego, take a bull by the horns and make it happen. Our world values completely opposite of what the kingdom of God values. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, the first thing you must do is deny yourself. In other words, stop trying to make a way for yourself. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. Stop try, trying to be something and follow me. Now, this is an incredibly counterintuitive thing. Because humility, denying yourself, is letting go of that which you want, that which you dream about, that which you hope for, and allowing Jesus to implant his hopes and his desires and his dreams inside of you. And it seems easy, but it's not. Because your biggest struggle, my biggest struggle, is ego and pride. We have this incredible battle going on between what we want, what self wants, and between what God wants, what is of God. And so this battle between pride and humility drives us. And the world doesn't value humility. The world drives pride. In fact, we elect people who have pride. We, we call people to lead us in businesses who have pride. We want people... With, with, with pride because it's strength. We view it as strength. But can I tell you something? 
Pride is not strength. Pride is actually weakness. Because pride is covering up for something. Humility is strength. Remember the world says that this is the way things should be. The kingdom of God is upside down. Everything the world values first, the kingdom of God values last. Let me give you an example. We have a a, a saying in this world, right? He who owns the gold, what? Makes the rules, right? So we value gold. We value money. We value uh, 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 the ability to have stuff and do things. And our value is so much that we will give our life. We will abandon our families. We will take sacrifices. We will do things that you, you normally would never do for the sake of gaining and, and, and having gold, right? In the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us there are streets in his kingdom made of what? Gold. We're going to walk on the thing we worship today. That ought to tell you, gold is our God in, our, in this, this economy. In the kingdom of heaven, it's asphalt. It's pavement. And it goes with humility as well. In our world, uh, 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 pride and, and, and determination, all those things are so valued and sought after. In the kingdom of God, humility is sought after. So to deny yourself is to embrace and live in humility. Now the question is, how do you get there? How do you do that? What does it mean to be truly humble? Because humility is so seditious. It's, it, it, it's, so, it, it's so crafty. Or excuse me, pride is that way. Pride is so crafty that we can actually cloak pride with humility. Because we will do things that look humble... But see, uh, uh, humility is not something you do. Humility is something you are. It's a heart issue. Humility is something deep within you. And what, because you are humble, what comes out is a reflection of that humility. But you and I can fool people with false humility, right? We can do things by deflecting attention or deflecting praise. And people say, oh, they're so humble. But listen, it's the heart even though we can fool people in humility, we, all, we have to answer for our own heart. I, I love the prayer in, in uh, Luke one fifty one. It talks about how God knows the, the pride in the heart, the secret thoughts of the heart. And so we have this battle going on because even when we do right, the motivation behind it can be so wrong. So how do you get to this place of truly denying yourself? I think it's a matter of looking in the mirror. And I think the mirror is this right here. And I think it's looking in the mirror, God's word, with, and, and, and I don't want to say allowing God's word, because we don't really allow it, but, but I would say breaking down the walls of self-preservation and allowing God's word to grip us on the inside. And allowing us to agree with God, God, this is who I am without you. Who are you without God? The answer to, your, to that question, how you answer that question, will reveal the humility of your own heart. See, what we're supposed to say is, I'm nothing without God. But secretly inside of us, we say that out loud, but we go, but I'm really something. I mean, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad, right? But when you get to the place where you are completely 
desolate in your own thoughts of who you are, that, that you recognize that it truly is that you are, are dead until you are alive with Christ, you can't really be humble. And the word deny yourself, when it says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, that word deny is a special word in the Greek. It's only used a few different times, and it means to deny utterly, to deny completely, to deny fully, to, to wholly and a hundred percent give up the right to your own self. That's what it means to deny yourself. And then once you deny yourself, you're then to pick up a cross. Notice the progression here. The progression is, I've got to humble myself so that I can pick up a cross. Do you see how upside down that really is? Our world doesn't teach that. Our world says, make a name for yourself, do good for yourself, Have a following, have influence, become something. And Jesus says, become nothing and then take up a cross. The only people who pick up a cross are criminals, murderers, and those destined to die. That's what a cross is for. Crucifixion was reserved uh, for the Romans uh, for those who were the vilest of vile. It was an execution that was meant to be a spectacle to demonstrate to other people passing by, hey, don't do what they did. It was meant to be excruciating. It was meant to be awful. It was meant to be a torment. And yet Jesus says, abandon yourself, pick up your cross, acknowledge that you are not your own, and then follow me. So here's the thing. You cannot follow Jesus without picking up your cross. And you can't pick up your cross without denying yourself. So you deny yourself, you pick up your cross and you follow him, but you can't follow him without picking up your cross and denying yourself. So the three work in tandem. So the person who is genuinely humble will take the next step because they realize that my life is not my own, therefore... I belong to Jesus, so I pick up my cross. There's a recognition that, that in this world you have many troubles. There's this recognition that not, life is not going to be rosy and perfect and peachy. But now, don't let that scare you. Because here's what I'll say. I would not trade the life of a believer. I would not trade my life as a follower of Jesus for anything else on the planet. I once had somebody ask me, probably more than one time, but I distinctly remember this one time, say, hey, do you wish you would have gotten the base? My brother was a ball player, and he played for the big leagues, blah, blah, blah. Somebody said, don't you wish you could have done that? And I said, let me tell you something. I would not trade my life for the life of a pro athlete for all the money in the world. Why? Because there's more satisfaction and there's more joy in following Jesus where he leads you than in pursuing anything else where he doesn't lead you. When you deny yourself, you were saying, God, I give up the right to make the decisions in my life. I give up the right to call the shots. I give up the right to be anything 
except for what you have called me to be. And I pick up my cross admitting and recognizing that there might be suffering on the way, there might be difficulty on the way, there might be a road that's hard on the way. I pick up my cross acknowledging that I am dead to myself. But I'm gonna follow you because I trust you are a good, good father. I know that I'm following one who has walked the path and will never lead me to a place that I don't need to be and I will say not, will not ultimate, ultimately lead me to a great satisfaction of soul. I've never met a man or a woman who's followed Jesus with deep humility and absolute surrender that would go back and say, I wish I wouldn't have made that choice. I've never, ever met someone who's regretted following Jesus. I've met a lot of people who have regretted chasing after so many other things. A lot. So what does it mean, though, to be genuinely humble? What does it mean to embrace humility, to live a life that is not for yourself, but a life for Jesus? It means that you've got to ask some questions. See, we're wired for self-preservation. I mean, when we're born, we're born with the need and the desire to, to preserve our life. The very next passage in Scripture really kind of points this out. He says, For uh, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's this idea that we're constantly living our life for self-preservation. You learned about it in science when you were in high school. It's called the fight or flight, right? When you come up against a stressor or when you come up against something that's difficult, you'll make one of two decisions every single time. You'll either stand up and fight it or you're going to flight. You're going to run away. Why? Because you are, you are wired for self-preservation. Humility is trusting that Jesus is going to fight your battle. Now, functionally, how that works out, you might be swinging some fist at some point, but it's, it's, the, it's the hard attitude. It's the understanding that the battle belongs to the Lord, not to you. So there are three questions that you have to ask yourself when it comes to pretty much everything you do in life where you're trying to preserve yourself, okay? Three questions of self-preservation. One, what am I afraid of losing? Because we do a lot of things in life out of fear of losing. And it's not just losing tangible things. It, it's, it's losing intangible things. It's like it's losing power. Or it's losing control. Or it's losing a sense of, 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 um, of, of, of security. We're, we're afraid of losing all kinds of things. And so we live our life trying to self-preserve ourselves. Or trying to, trying to live in self-preservation. By, by doing things, because if we don't do them, we will lose something. To deny yourself is to say, I have nothing to lose. Because when you see yourself through, through the mirror of the Word of God, you have nothing to lose, because in your own sin, you're dead. A dead man can't lose anything, right? Um, so in the fire service, we have this, uh, when you're learning, you, you are learning to do different procedures and stuff when somebody's sick and, or, 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 you know, like they, they coded or something. And, and there's this fear that you're going to hurt them. Like giving CPR, you can crack ribs, especially with, the, with an elderly person. And I remember distinctly being told, look, 
they can't be any more dead than dead. And it was this realization that doing something, even if, even if it causes some pain, they're dead. And so, so you, doing something is better than nothing. And so this idea that you have something to lose goes out the window when you die to yourself. When you deny yourself, you got nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose, you'll do anything, right? Here's the second question. What am I trying to hide? Think about that. We make a lot of decisions. We do a lot of things in life based on what we're, what we're trying to hide from people or what we're trying to hide from ourselves. I'm trying to hide insecurity. I'm tried, trying to hide fear. I'm trying to hide sin. I'm trying to hide weakness. I'm trying to hide jealousy. So we do all these things based on what we're afraid of losing and what we're trying to hide because we're trying to preserve ourselves. We're trying to keep ourselves there and in the game, right? Here's the third question, and this might be the most, most powerful one. What am I trying to prove? How much of your life is lived based on what you're trying to prove, either to other people or to yourself? Because we have this voice, this conversation going on in our head all the time, right? There are lies of the enemy constantly. And when you are trying to, to live in self-preservation, you're trying to do things based on proving something that you think others don't believe or need to believe. And it happens to all of us. I would say the, the number one person we're trying to prove things to is ourself. There's this thing called imposter syndrome. You know what that is? Imposter syndrome is when you walk into a room and you feel like you don't belong. You feel like everybody else belongs there but you. What would it be like if you lived a life where you truly had nothing to lose? Where you truly had nothing to hide? And where you truly had nothing to prove? That's a person who's secure. That's a person who's confident. That's a person who's humble. You can walk into any room in the world and be okay being there. Whether they're a group of kings and princes or a group of beggars and vagabonds. Whether it's a group of addicts or it's a group of wealthy businessmen. You can walk into any room and be in that room and belong in that room because you're not trying to be anything or anybody else because out of a deep-seated humility, you recognize that Jesus Christ is leading you. Guys, listen. It's a shame that it takes us so much living to finally figure this out if we ever figure it out. Amen? Wouldn't it be nice as a high schooler, to walk into the high school, to walk down the halls and be able to see all that is going on and not feel like you have to be anything for anybody. That is a freedom and that is a hope and that is a strength that most people never find. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. You know, if you get caught in a rip current, the tendency 
is to try to swim back to shore. So the rip current is pulling you out. And so you're doing everything you can do to swim back to shore. You're just digging it, digging it, digging it. But you're not gaining any, you're not gaining any progress. In fact, all you're doing is wearing yourself out, making yourself tired, becoming, becoming more and more out of breath and unable to float. The way you get out of a rip current is to not fight against it. And then to go sideways. I'm asking you because Jesus is asking you to go sideways. Because you are caught in a rip current of life. And that rip current is more powerful, more, more seditious, more, more, more uh, 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 explosive than you are. And yet God says, I've got another way. Deny yourself. Put on humility. Take up your cross and start following me. I love that old hymn, the way of the cross leads home. Could you imagine having the mindset of my friend that I talked to this morning? Look, if I wake up, no problem, it's good. But if I don't wake up, I'm in the presence of Jesus. There is a hope in that that sounds really strange to the rest of the world. They look at that and they say, what are you, nuts? And here's why. Because all they see, without Christ, all you see is the present. And if all you have is the present, you do everything you can do to get all you can get. Because this is all there is. But when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And if I would go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. He said, in my Father's house there are many rooms, there are many mansions, right? Jesus said, look, this is not the end because the kingdom of this world has a definitive ending date. We don't know what that is. But there's coming a time when everything, the heavens and earth, will pass away. But... Jesus said, my words will remain forever. So the kingdom of God is eternal. It doesn't end. So you can humble yourself before the Lord now because if you do that, you'll know that God is working out something that is eternally more amazing than you and I could possibly ever ask, hope, or imagine. Amen? That's worth, that's worth saying amen for. So he said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me We'll find it. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about finding life. You find life through complete humility. That's where you find life. Imagine. Just imagine the ways of life coming through your life. And you look at them and you say, you know, that, that's painful. That hurts. I don't like this season. I, I don't want this. This is... This is something I would go around if I could. But glory to God. He's leading me. And I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep all that I've committed unto him until that day. Imagine being the only one in the midst of the storm to say, hey guys, this is bad. But we have a king. And our king proclaims good news. Imagine being able to face stress 
with the perspective of this too shall pass. That's what it means to live in humility. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. Now, I want you to be fully aware, though, that if you take on humility, you will take on enemies. Because humility looks weak. Humility looks small. But I would just say to you, look at Jesus. Do what he did. And you'll... You'll have the results that he had. By the way, he was crucified, but he also rose again. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to uh, Philippians chapter 2. I invite you to read this, these passages over and over and over. Pretty much all week I've been stuck in Ephesians, excuse me, in uh, Matthew 16. In uh, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and start in verse 1 to give us the, the, the context here. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation in love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, unity in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Then here he drops the truth bomb. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility. Now, that word nothing means nothing. Don't do 99%, 95%. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Again, pride versus humility. Pride is self. I think I said it last week. But the middle of pride is I. I you and I are always in the middle of pride. What's best for me? What's good for me? How does this help me? When people sell things, they normally sell things based on this sale is going to be good for me. That's the worst way to sell things. Somebody who's humble, who has truly taken on humility, my thought is what's best for you. I want to do what will bless you. I want to do what will help you. I want to do what's best for you. I'm going to deny myself and here's what I've seen happen. When we take that on, some people will take advantage of us. Some people will abuse us. But we will have more influence than we've ever dreamed possible. Because influence is based on character more so than position. So listen, Jesus said, or the scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest. So there are some boundaries there, right? It's not that you're a doormat and everybody walks on you. Jesus demonstrated this, right? When he stood before Pilate and when he stood before the Pharisees, he didn't just bow down and give them whatever they wanted. He was secure, he was confident, and he was definitely humble. But he answered their questions without anger he answered their questions without being defensive he answered their questions without without getting a zinger on them he wasn't trying to harm them think about this if he wanted to he could have just demolished every single person who argued against him i mean don't you agree i mean jesus had the ability with his words to penetrate into a person's soul 
with the Pharisees or, or with the Roman soldiers, he could have absolutely just eviscerated them. Is that the right word? He, he could have demolished. I'm trying to think of a graphic word, right? He could have just... And yet he chose not to. Why? Because even with the Pharisees, he loved them and he wanted to see God's best in them. Even with the Roman soldiers who were crucifying him, he didn't want to send, send a punishment on them. He wanted them to believe. That's what humility does. It says, I'm not interested in, in protecting my own honor. I'm not interested in, in you thinking I'm somebody I'm interested in you finding the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said, look, if somebody slaps you on one side, turn your cheek and let them slap the other. It's not because Jesus is all about uh, you being slapped. It's about sometimes the kingdom of God, well, not sometimes, always the kingdom of God needs to be considered over the kingdom of man. So Jesus, or the scripture says, everyone should look, at, look out not only to his own interest, but also for the interests of others. And then here's our model. Adopt the same attitude, verse 5, as that of Christ Jesus. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or as something to be exploited. In other words, I love it when, it, when we translate instead of grasped, exploited. Because what it says is this. Jesus was God. The Word made flesh, and yet He did not exploit that power to build His kingdom. Think about it. What Peter was saying was, hey, you're the Messiah. You're not going to die. You're going to make them die. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to exploit my divinity. I am going to be humble and gentle because I'm doing the work that my Father sent me to do. So everything Jesus is asking of you is what He first did in His own life. He didn't see equality as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant. I want you to picture this with me. Jesus is sitting on the throne next to the Father. Now, this, this isn't how it happened. I mean, we're, I'm, just, I'm just imagining this coming to life, right? So just you understand that, right? But in my brain, I'm a picture kind of a person. So Jesus is sitting on the throne and the Father says, Son, it's time for the Word to be made flesh. And so he, he, he gets off, off the throne and he removes his kingly garments. And he puts on beggar sandals, wraps a towel around himself. And then he comes to the earth and he doesn't come with great fanfare. He doesn't come with, with this, this uh, great um, uh, uh, marketing scheme. He comes and he's born in insignificant, except for the heavens are declaring that Jesus is born. Here's what I love about this. As humble as Jesus was, the heavens could not stay silent. I just, I, they couldn't stop screaming, he's born, he's born. And the shepherds are in the field and they go, man, there's something different about this sky tonight. Let's go find out what's going on. So they go and they find this baby. And if anybody would have said, this is the king 
who is over every other king in the whole entire world, both before, the present, and in the future, nobody would have believed him. That is humility. And for 30 years, he was silent. For 30 years, think about it. His mom could have been like, hey, Jesus, I need you to go to the well to get water. At 12 years old, he could have been like, okay, right? I mean, he turned water into wine. He certainly could have filled a jug, right? He didn't exploit his power. He was humble beyond humble. And he says that instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had and when he had come as a man he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death the bible tells us that he hung as he hung on the cross he could have called 10,000 angels and they would have rescued him but instead he stayed there why it was the only way for you and for me to be made right with god The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You and me, we're dead in our sins. And without Jesus Christ being the mediator between God the Father and you and me, we could not have salvation. And when he hung on a cross, he was building a bridge between God the Father and you. And because he built a bridge, it means he made a way so that we could be made right with God. He emptied himself, even death on a cross. And listen to what God did. For this reason, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So you can live in humility. I was, you know, I'm trying to wrestle how to say this. Do we pursue humility? I'm not sure we pursue it. But, but maybe we do. I think it's more an attitude of, more, more so of pursuing. It's a matter of Unloading. So instead of pursuing humility, we're unloading self. That's where confession comes in. That's when God's word says, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not all that and a bag of chips. I am desperate. And then God says, okay, I'm going to give you my name. And I'm going to lead you where you need to be and where you need to go. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. He he doesn't say the proud who are really proud. It says he opposes the proud, meaning he opposes pride. You and I, any pride in our life is opposed by God. Any pride, even that secret, nobody else knows pride. When you allow pride in your life, you are coming up a brick wall of God. Sometimes the struggles in our life are simply a reflection 
of God opposing the pride in our life. And God stand, I just imagine that God stands there and goes, nope. 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 It's like having a little toddler trying to get by and you just, the toddler has no power. They think they do. They think they can figure it out. But you just keep sidestepping. No, you're not going to pass. And then the child stops and goes, and what do you do? You reach down and you pick them up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He lifts up the humble. He elevates the humble. God can do more in a day than you and I can do in a hundred years. God can do more in your weakness than He ever could do in your strength. God will do more in your humility than He could possibly do in your pride. I want you to imagine what your life would be if you took on humility like Jesus. That means tomorrow when you walk into your workplace, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not afraid of losing anything. I don't need to hide anything. I can be completely honest with people because I'm not to, trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to hide me. I'm not trying to, I just, I'm done with it. And I don't need to prove anything to anyone. And when somebody says, you know, you're a real failure. Yeah. You know, you didn't do this right. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I wish I would have done it, but I'm going to try better. You know, I can't believe that you. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry about that. When they get mad and angry and your response, because you're, you have hum, you've taken on humility, your response is gracious and kind. They try to offend you and you say, I'm sorry, but you, you can't offend me. Because I'm not living to please you. No matter what you say, I am secure and I'm confident and I'm humble because I know in whom I have believed. Guys, listen, it will change your world. Now, can I give you a personal story? And I'll be done. So a couple of weeks ago, I actually preached the guts of this message in, 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 Georgia, in uh, Georgia. I was preaching at church. This is when Josh preached in my place. And I was standing back in the back and I had this overwhelming sense of helplessness and reliance and peace. And I can't even explain it except to say that when I walked, walked down to come up and preach, I preached with absolute freedom because I wasn't waiting to see how many would come down and how many would raise their hand and how many would pray a prayer and how many would come afterwards and say, oh, such a good job. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was Jesus, did I preach faithfully? If your answer is yes, that is all that I need. In fact, that's all that I want. And I, I'll tell you, it was, it was like, you know, you ever have those things happen? Just like, but guys, listen, our entire life can be that way. Our entire life. But not until we're honest about who we really are. Somebody in First Baptist said, man, that's hard. I said, yeah. But it's the only way. Father.
it is my prayer today that you would show us what what humility looks like. And Lord, show us that by showing us your own life. God, help us to grasp how our hearts change. And Lord, help us to constantly wrestle against the pride that comes. Father, I pray that we would not live for self-preservation, but we would live for the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that it would illuminate the dark areas of our heart. And God, may we have the humility to allow it to root out those insidious places that only you can change. Father, I pray for freedom over your people today. Pray for complete freedom through humility. And Father, I pray this for your sake, God, for your name, for the glory of God the Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Find out more about